Welcome to an inspirational message from Creekwood Church. We hope that you have an encounter with God and discover practical ways to help you live a life of purpose. Good morning, Creekwood Church. Gosh, when Pastor Stephen called a few weeks ago, I couldn't have been more excited. And I thought, you know, it seems like every time I'm here, my life has dramatically changed yet again. Right, So I was here in January, and then I stepped off our staff where I've been serving for 18 years, and um, just so much has changed where I'm now at home a little bit more, and I couldn't do home very long. I realized it's been six months where I've been practically staring at the walls, and I'm too much of a people person for that, so I went and got a job literally on a Friday morning at Nordstrom. So now I'm a Nordstrom's employee where I, literally, this is how crazy random my life is. I just decided to take a seasonal role. Why not, right? If I'm staying home a little bit more, I see the kids during the day. I'm taking care of them during the summer hours. And so if you are one of those people who don't put your clothes back after you go to a dressing room, no. I just hope, though, that there's a little truth to that. Um, but I just wanted to remind you that I'm relatable, that I, that I am not someone that is different in any way from you. I am a sinner saved by grace. I am a Nordstrom's employee where I clock in and out. I've been a pastor, a wife, a friend. We are all in this together. Um, and so, you know, also my life is kind of crazy because I love, love, love people. And I love that when I get, when I have an opportunity to speak, that I invite some of my dearest friends to come with me. I've got a row full of incredibly sharp, talented people on this second row. And so um, they're from our home church, Hope Fellowship Church. And last night, um, two of my friends came up, Chelsea and Tasha. And we, uh, I taught here last night at your community. And then I went to dinner and we went to the hotel room. And this happened last night. My friend was uh, proposed to here in Mansfield, Texas. She thought she was just coming to hear, right? Give her a hand. She thought she was just coming to hang out and come to Creekwood Church. So you're all invited to the wedding. If you, no, Chelsea's like, I don't have the money for that. But um, you know what? God is full of surprises. And, you know, I was just reminded yet again, he's not confused. For those of you in the lobby, man, I'm so impressed that you're sitting in the overflow section. He's not confused that you're here today and that you didn't have a seat in the auditorium. He's in control he, we are not an accident to him. And as the last time I was here at your church community, it was in January, and um, something crazy happened. We went to lunch afterwards. That's not too crazy. We typically go to lunch afterwards. And we went to a place called Oliver's, and I went with Sarah Baker and a group of my friends. But one of my friends sat across from one of you, and you may be here today. I can't see all of your faces, but there was a, a nice gentleman that decided to go with us that day. And He sat across from one of my friends, and he said to my friend Tomas, he said, God's hand is on her life. Listen, I don't say that with any pats on the back. I say that because I'm probably one of the more insecure doubters that you'll ever meet in your life. And if you're hard on yourself, you better believe that I'm hard on myself. So when he said that, that meant a lot to my tired heart. But then what he said next kind of freaked me out. Tomas told me later, he goes, this guy said that when you teach, when you speak to a group of people, you're going to begin to say maybe some things that are off your notes a little bit. You're going to start to speak a little bit more specifically to individuals in the room. And I thought, well, that's kind of intimidating. How's that going to happen? So I've been teaching and writing sermons for people. I'm a content researcher, and I've been communicating for 18 years, and this has never happened. When I went to put this message together, and I was typing on the computer, there were moments, I promise you as I'm standing here right now, there were moments where I felt like God would say to me, 
right here, Libba, in, in, in your notes, I want you to write these words, pray for this. Pray for this. And so I would write, pray for this. And it was not a stopping point. Have you ever been writing a sentence and right now is not where you need to put a comma or something? It doesn't make any sense. But I'm going to tell you, when I say those three words together, pray for this. I'm just going to step out in faith here that somebody in this room or in that lobby is supposed to actually pray for whatever it is that I feel like God was putting in the notes. It may be a scripture or it may be something very specific. I think sometimes we think that he's talking to them. And reality is he is intimately wanting a conversation with us. And that he sees us and that he's not confused. Let me pray for us before I dive into the story today. God, I thank you so much. God, I thank you so much for what you're wanting to accomplish that I don't even comprehend right now in this moment. You want to set some people free. You want someone in this room today who does not know Jesus Christ to be free to come to know him. Lord, you want to encourage us, and I thank you for what you're going to accomplish, not through me, but in your power and in your strength. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You know, also, I was so encouraged. I love your worship. In fact, I just want to get my keys and go home. I don't want to teach. Because honestly, the sermon is so embedded in the lyrics. Were you not just dying when they were talking about he's a firm foundation? And that I've tasted of the sweetest of loves. Oh my gosh. I was like, that's the sermon. We can all go home. And when Sarah came up and she started to say, we're too scared to pray for things that are really important to us. I thought, that's me. I have such bad self-preservation issues, it's not even funny because I don't want to be told no. And when she responsibly reminded us that he's not a genie in the bottle, man, I was so convicted. It's like I want a fortune cookie to tell me exactly how it's going to work, and that's how he's going to respond. But he's greater than my request. He can see. He flies his plane up there at 30,000 high altitude view, and he can see what's coming. And sometimes when he answers us a certain way, it may look a little bit differently, but he is not confused, he's not asleep, he's in control. And so today we're going to dive into an Old Testament character named Gideon. Gideon, if you're a parent in the room, kids love this story. On the way here with my family last night, we started talking about Gideon, and my little one just piped up, and she knew the whole story, and I was just reminded, gosh, these are the stories that are rich that we need to be sharing with our kids. Today we're going to be in Judges chapter 6 and 7. There's no way in this short amount of time, 23 minutes, I can finish chapter 6 and 7. So please go back and read it. So as we open up Judges chapter 6, we find that the nation of Israel is coming after, coming off of a time of, of ease. Right, The bills are paid. The kids are behaving. Business is good for them right now. Everything is coming up roses. Or so it seems. And then all of a sudden, though, as they're becoming more and more self-sufficient and everything's going up and to the right, we find that something is actually happening. Israel is forgetting about God. I don't know if you can relate to that, but I can. That I start thinking it's in my own might and my own power and in my own strength. And the reality is I start to forget a little bit about him. We become a little self-sufficient. They didn't need God. So what does God do? Being the loving father he is, he started to shake some things up. And he actually rouses an enemy, get this, to come against them to remind them how hard it is to live without him. I know this. Please don't pray that the Lord rouses an enemy to teach me something. Please. 
But this is the loving father that he is. He wants so much to develop our character that he's willing to go to the greatest lengths, even if it's painful for a little while, to put us back on track. And so that's what happens. The Israelites, we have two people groups in this story, the Israelites and the Midianites. And the Israelites, we find, after everything's coming up, roses begin to be attacked by the Midianites. Their, their, their territory, their area is ravaged by the Midianites. They're taking their food, their women, their children, they're destroying them. And anything they can't carry in their hands out of the, out of the area, that they're burning it and leaving them with absolutely nothing. Because the Israelites had been unfaithful to God. And they sometimes, like you and I, don't realize, why is all of this happening? Now, sometimes bad things happen not because of our sin. But in this scenario, it's a consequence of them forgetting who God is. So in verse 1 in chapter 6, it says that the Israelites did what is evil in the sight of the Lord. I don't know about you, but again, I'm just going to keep saying this. I have done evil in the sight of the Lord. I am not any different than these characters in this Bible. And the sooner we can come clean before the Lord and admit that and admit that to each other, we can all get a little bit healthier, a little bit quicker. And so they're doing evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord handed them over to Midian for seven years. Now, I started thinking, why, God? That seems a little harsh. I mean, seven years, why so long? You need to keep in mind that the Midianites were extremely powerful And that they oppressed the Israelites mercilessly. So seven years, I mean, 30 minutes would be tragic enough. But now they're enduring seven years of this kind of treatment. They came in like locusts, the Bible says, ravaging the land. Finally, the Israelites cry out to the Lord. And I like the word finally. Why does it take you and I so long to ask Jesus for help and for mercy? You know, I've been praying. um, My friend has been praying a lot for me lately, um, God, be merciful to Libba. Be merciful. And it's taken me so long because in my self-sufficiency, I'm wanting to do it. I'm about to blaze a trail. I want to make things happen. And just here lately, I've just begun to cry out for mercy. And so the Israelites begin to cry out for mercy. And why is it that it took them so long to turn to the Lord? Well, because like you and I in this room and in the lobby, listen, They waited till every possible option has played out and they couldn't take it any longer. Does that sound like any stubborn people that you're married to or know or work for? Every possible option has played out and then they kneel before the Lord and then they cry out for his mercy and his strength. And so I was reminded once again as I was studying Gideon that sometimes, actually a lot of the times in life, that God will give us tests. When the, God, when, when the test taker gives a student a test, the test taker is usually very silent. For some of you in this room, you perhaps feel like God's been pretty quiet, that your prayers can reach no higher than the ceiling. But he's, what, he, what he's doing is he's wanting to bid you to grow deeper. He's wanting you to press in. He's wanting you to search for him. And he says, if you search for me, you will find me. When tough times come, instead of looking at them as if God is punishing you and God is punishing me, it'd be so healthy if we would flip it around this Sunday in July and see it as God's gifts of grace. And so in Proverbs 3, 11 through 12, my mom used to read this verse. I did not like it. And I'll be honest, as an adult now, I'm not that crazy about it, but it does give me some hope, and I hope that it does you. It says, my child, don't reject the Lord's discipline. And don't be upset when he corrects you. 
for he corrects those he hates, for he corrects those he loves. Just as a father corrects a child in whom he delights, he loves you and I so much to to keep us from, you know, living the lives we're living. And so he intervenes and he causes circumstances and he rouses up enemies against us to help us understand our great need for him. He's always designing something in the midst of our troubles. And I love that when we cry out to God, he moves in mercy towards us. The people in your life may not move in mercy towards you, but God says, I will move in mercy towards you. His plan for Israel, though, he's, he's hearing Israel's cry, and his plan is going to include the most unlikely character, and his name is Gideon. And I'm so thankful that God gives us time and time again, example after example in the Bible of how he includes an unlikely person to do something magnificent. We meet Gideon in Judges chapter 6, verse 11. And where we meet Gideon, this Bible character of the Old Testament, is he's in the wine press and he's threshing wheat. Now, I'm a city girl, so I don't know too much about threshing wheat, but I have common sense enough to know you don't typically do it in a wine press. I mean, that doesn't make a lot of sense. And threshing was the process of separating the grains of wheat from the useless outer shell called the chaff. And as I researched and studied it a little bit more, you'd want to do this like on the top of a hill where there's lots of ventilation and wind flow and stuff like that out in the open. You wouldn't want to be down in a wine press, isolated, and not a lot of airflow. It doesn't make a lot of sense. Gideon, though, has apparently been stung before. Has anyone been treated poorly here recently? (laughs) Don't raise your hand. But he's been stung before, and so he doesn't want to be out there. He knows if he's out there on top of the hill, man, the enemy's going to see him. They're going to come after him. They're already raiding his people and his land. So he's hiding, trying to get his work done. It's a pitiful sight, full of frustration and discouragement and fear that I'm assuming many of you know all too well. So God's going to show up, and he's going to visit Gideon, and what he's going to say doesn't fit the scenario. If you'll go with me, this is almost funny. It is actually. Judges 6, verse 12. He's going to see Gideon there hiding in the wine press, and he's going to say, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Now, I'm sure Gideon was taken aback by this comment, like, What? I'm sorry. Um, I don't necessarily see a hero. I mean, if you couldn't tell, I'm hiding. I'm scared to be out there. I went to junior college. I have four Facebook friends. I don't have any money in my account. I've been fired from three jobs. Mighty hero, this doesn't add up. But it's time for Gideon to see himself the way God sees him. My best friend tells me that all the time. When are you going to see yourself? She just told me again this morning, when are you going to get how much God loves you? When are you going to see yourself the way God sees you? And so here we find Gideon being, he was just told, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. I'm sure he probably did one of these, like, who are you talking to? There's no, this doesn't add up. But he was about to see himself the way God saw him. God confirms his priorities with his presence every single time, right? And so after being called a mighty warrior, it's funny to me, how is this guy going to respond? Because this doesn't resonate with him. If you'll jump in the text with me in Judges 6, verses 13, it says this. Sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, and this is reasonable, why has all of this happened to us? 
And where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? I mean, didn't they say the Lord has brought us out of Egypt? Now the Lord has abandoned and handed us over to the Midianites. Verse 14 tells us something that must have bulldozed Gideon's sensibilities. It says that the Lord turned to him and he looked at Gideon and he said, Go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. Pause here. Pray for this. I believe someone in this room or in that lobby or someone here this weekend is supposed to pray that God would go with them, that, that they would recognize that God has given them strength that they are not accessing right now. God himself said, go with the strength that is yours. And so for you, it might be a simple prayer. Lord, would you help me this week to go with the strength that is mine? God, are you sending me? It sounds like you're sending me to do something. Would you give me that kind of strength you gave Gideon? So Gideon isn't doing the math, though, in this divine equation quite right. He notes just how impressive his resume is. He continues to argue with God a little bit, and he's thinking, there's no way this doesn't add up. I'm in here scared. I'm a scaredy cat. And you're calling me a mighty hero. It doesn't make sense. He's also thinking, you want me to go out to battle against these people, but I don't have any tribe. I don't have a, a people group. A cavalry's not going to come out for me and fight with me. This is not going to end well for us. And God confers his priorities with his presence. In Judges 6, verses 16, I love this. It says, the Lord said to him, I will be with you, and you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. He's so much bigger than we're making him, Creekwood Church. I will go with you, and you will defeat them as if you were defeating one man. Well, you can't wait to the end of the story because it's going to be amazing the way this plays out. God gives Gideon an undeniable assignment. Pause. Pray for this. I think some of you in this room are bored, and your boredom is actually leading you into sin that you never anticipated participating in. And it's time for you to ask God to give you an undeniable assignment. You are warriors in this room. You're, you're incredibly sharp and talented and smart and creative. And you're sitting on boredom and you're allowing it to, to numb you and to tease your mind with sin. And I just want to encourage you, instead of giving all that silly time to that stuff, will you step over this week, be courageous, and pray, Lord, would you give me an undeniable assignment? Would you give me the strength to pray for something so unrealistic only God could do it? And would you give me the courage to, to chase after it? So God, Gideon is given an undeniable assignment. He's told the remarkable results in advance. And he's promised the unrivaled partnership of the Lord himself. I was so jealous reading that. Lord, would you give me a peek behind the curtain? What's after Nordstrom? Like, would you just, I mean, could you just give me some idea that there's something exciting down the road, you know? And and many of you, that's funny, but many of you feel that way. Like, gosh, Gideon, he has all of this God's coming to him, telling him that he has strength. I don't see God coming to me. But just wait for it. Judges 6, 23 says this. He says, do not be afraid. You will not die. And so Gideon built an altar to the Lord, and he called it the Lord's peace. Gideon needed a personal encounter with God. Push pause. Pray for this. I think there's something that is unmatched about when we have a personal encounter with God. 
And it said in the, in the worship lyrics today, it said, I have tasted of the sweetest of loves. Man, I can tell you, I am hungry for you as your friend that you experience a personal encounter with God. There's no human relationship this side of heaven that can satisfy your soul the way a personal encounter with God can. I promise you. I'm like written a book on pain. I promise you. There's nothing that can say. So if we're missing out on a personal encounter with God, I want to encourage someone in this room or in that lobby to pray, God, this week, would you give me a personal encounter with you? He's probably going to do it around 3.30 a.m. That's usually when mine happens. I hate it. Sorry. Or somewhere on the, in the car on the tollway, and you're going to pull off, and you're just going to be like, oh, my gosh, I think he's speaking to me. But he's going to show up. It says draw near to him, and he will draw near to you. He'll give you his purpose when his promised presence comes in. You know, I was researching a little bit more, and I, I came across this quote from one of Napoleon's soldiers. Napoleon led his men, and his soldiers were asked, what's it like to be on his team? What's it like to serve Napoleon? And this is what they said. One of them said, when Napoleon takes our hands and looks at us in the eye, we feel like conquerors. Man, when he... When my leader, when my commander takes my hand and looks at me, I feel like I could do anything. I feel like a conqueror. There's something that changes when we listen to his voice, listen to his voice and we look full in his wonderful face. My mom used to sing this hymn, Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace. A personal encounter this week with, with Jesus Christ is what so many of us in this room need. And then suddenly, when we're in his presence, whatever it was we were asking him for is most likely probably not where he's going to visit us in that specific request right then. You know what's going to happen? Suddenly, his priorities are going to become the most important thing on earth. All of the stuff that had us all tangled up and freaking out is going to look so dim. And all of a sudden, he's going to give us some kind of undeniable assignment for today. By the way, there's something that's been on my heart so much lately is stay in today. God, would you give me daily bread? Would you give me enough eyesight for today? Would you give me enough supernatural understanding just for today? Would you help me stay in today? So Gideon was ready for the first test, right? He reaches out to God, and, and God reaches back to him. And before Gideon, Gideon can be used publicly, he must, though, first clean up his own backyard. Pray for this. I think there's some of us in this room that need to clean up our own backyards. God's got something ready and waiting for us that he wants to move us towards, but it's going to require some obedient, uncomfortable steps over here first. Perhaps this last school year ended poorly for you and there's some unresolved issues between you and another teacher or perhaps your administrator or with a parent or something of that sort. Man, maybe God today would be saying to you, before you start back in August, clean up your own backyard, go back to the things that are unresolved, do some cleanup and some work there and get back on the right track. I believe there's some people in this room who are divorced, and I've never walked through that, and my heart hurts for you. By the way, God will use you even if you're divorced. We're crazy when we say that it stopped with the marriage. No, it didn't. But if you are divorced 
I can only imagine the pain you've walked through, but I want to encourage you. Sometimes cleaning up your own backyard means that you stop throwing grenades at each other. The papers were signed. You're now living as two separate families. Can I beg you? I know you can't forget, but God calls us and commands us to forgive. And maybe cleaning up your own backyard is this week to stop with the grenades. You're just, it's a bloodbath. Ask God to give you strength and encouragement to heal your hurt instead of expecting someone else to. So he asked him to clean up his backyard. What does that look like for Gideon? Well, Gideon's family was breaking the first and second commandments because they had idols to bail in their, in their backyard, in their front yard. And so instead of using Gideon, Gideon mighty in the war yet, he says, wait a minute, before we go there, we've got to take care of this stuff over here. So the first assignment from the Lord was to take his dad's special seven-year-old bull, and I want you to take this bull, and I want you to knock down this idol that you have in your yard, and then I want you to use the wood from the idol, and I want you to sacrifice the bull. Now, this all sounds so crazy, but you fill in the blanks with what that looks like for your life. And so Gideon did it. Now, I can tell you, because I've experienced this, sometimes when you start to clean up your backyard and you start to move towards obedience again, it stirs up some mess. Stuff starts to hit the fan. And all kinds of chaos happens. Because sometimes even as we're moving towards obedience, the people in our lives are not that forgiving, right? But you need to trust God that he is going to take care of you. And so they begin to clean up the yard and they begin to set their affairs in order. And he, it's literally stuff starts to stir up. Here's what happened. It happened for Gideon. Evidently, the bull was a community breeding stock owned by Gideon's family. And so it started to tick some people off that now they've torn down this idol, that they're doing the obedient thing. Sometimes obedience produces uncomfortable results, but just stay with the story. So in Judges 6, verse 30, it says, The men of the city said, Bring out your son. He must die for destroying the altar of Baal and cutting down the Asher pole. Well, Gideon's act was already affecting change. Him cleaning his yard was already causing chaos. So in Judges 6.31, his dad, Joash, says, he shouted to the mob that confronted him, why are you defending Baal? Will you argue his case? Whoever pleads his case will be put to death by morning. If Baal is truly a god, let him defend himself or destroy the one who breaks down his altar. It says that the Midianites and their partners are getting to make their annual raid basically right now. And it says that the Lord then enveloped Gideon and helped him through this chaotic situation that's unfolding so he could get to the real battle that God's calling him to. And he actually sent some men to rally around Gideon in this scenario. It's, in fact, it says the Bible says that there were 32,000 men that showed up ready to fight. Have you ever felt alone? Oh my gosh. Sometimes we look out the window and it's like, there's no one. We look at our phone, there's no one that's calling. We look around us and think, there's no one who's, who's sitting beside me. But man, God is doing stuff behind the scenes that we can't see with human eyes. And so he has 32,000 men show up for Gideon. Now listen, this is kind of comical to me because I could so relate to this and we're kind of getting near the close here. Even after his encounter, his face-to-face encounter with a, with a mighty God, hello, mighty warrior, right? Even after that, even though he had been obedient to clean up his own backyard, even though the Holy Spirit was empowering him, 
Gideon's still struggling with doubts. Can you relate? And that's exactly what happens. In Judges 6, verse 36 and 37, stay with me. It says, if you are truly going to use me. Now, isn't that just like we are with the Lord? You've not shown me enough. So now I'm going to need a little bit more convincing. If you are truly going to use me to rescue Israel as you promised, prove it to me in this way. I'm so guilty of this, Creekwood Church. I will put a wool fleece on the threshing room floor tonight. It made me want to go get my towel and do this because I have some prayer requests right now. So I'm going to try, I'm going to try this. If the fleece is wet with the dew in the morning, but the ground is dry, then I will know that you're going to help me rescue Israel as you promised. I love how tender and patient and loving God is, even with our crazy stupidity. Even with the stuff that we just keep making and prove himself again and again. He's a loving father. He wants to meet us where we are. And so sure enough, Gideon does this. And the Bible says the next morning, God gave it to him. The fleece was wet and the ground was dry. And now Gideon is turning into a fully convinced servant. Pray for this. Some of us, and this is my prayer this week. God, would you turn me into a fully convinced servant? Would you please be with me in my unbelief and my doubt? Will you turn me into a fully convinced servant? And so now Gideon's ready to rumble, but God then throws him another test. He has other plans. Look at this. In Judges 7, 2, the Lord said to Gideon, "Um, you have too many warriors with you. If I let you fight the Midianites, the Israelites will boast to me that they saved themselves by their own strength. So God gives Gideon a couple of tests. Now, I can tell you this right now. If you want me to fight, please don't take away the people behind me that are going to help me. Like, please, that's devastating. But that's exactly what God's doing. That Why is he taking people away from Gideon? At first, he takes 22,000 men out of the army, leaving 10,000 men now for Gideon to fight with. Still too many, God says. A second test was given. God told Gideon to take his men down to the water and let them drink. Okay, so with the remaining 10,000, here's here's another test. I want you to take the soldiers down to the water. If they bend into the water and they drink just without using their hands, but just start to drink the water with their mouths, then I need you to get rid of them. But if they cup the water with their hands and they lap the water like dogs, then I want you to keep them. It makes sense, right? you got to be up and looking ahead to see your enemy. You don't want the guys who are just face down into the water trying to get some water to drink. Now, if it were me and I knew I had to get rid of some more soldiers, I'd probably be cheating. I'd probably be like, hey, get up. Put the water, put the water in your hands. Like, I can't lose any more men. I'm about to go to battle. And so we see this play out, and Gideon must have gulped so hard when he counted how many men were disqualified in that water test. 9,700 men were taken out just like that, leaving now only 300 men. The story closes right here. It says that the Midianite army army, uh, numbered 135,000 men, now to Gideon's 300 men. That basically means that there's 450 Midianites to every one Israeli soldier. I'm looking right now at this room, and there's one of me to all of you. I promise you I'm going to find a door. Like, I'm not going to want to stay around for this bloodbath. It's it's terrifying looking at you right now, imagining you all coming this direction. That's 450 Midianites, like I said, to one Israeli soldier. And God wants Gideon's army to face these men with a mere 300 men who know how to drink politely. No, thank you. 
this is messed up. How many times do we feel like God got it wrong? He's confused. He's left me here to die. This is chaos. This is crazy. He's not someone I could put my faith in. But let me tell you something. God creates impossible scenarios so that he gets the glory every single time. It's his specialty. Buzzer beaters in our lives are his specialty, right? So it happened in Israel. In one of the strangest battle strategies in history, Creekwood, the 300 men went out with their trumpets and their torches and their jars, and they went towards the Midianites. And God executes his ultimate battle plan. He actually takes the Midianites and he tells them to turn, he turns them on each other and they begin attacking each other. And I can only imagine Gideon, I've got chills up here just thinking about it. Gideon must be like, oh my gosh, I thought you left me to die. But oh no, he had a better strategy. They actually get so confused that they start attacking each other. And when it was over, the Bible says 120,000 Midianites had killed one another. And the other 15 saw what was happening and took off running. God had answered Israel's prayers and he used a common man who believed God. You know what's so sad about that? Is that God has made us extraordinary and we are making ourselves way too ordinary. We're so mean to each other. Our families, we call each other's names. We, we tear each other down. Our workplaces are volatile. And he's wanting us to see ourselves as his masterpiece. We're so hard on ourselves. And he's going to take Gideon and show him, I created you to be extraordinary. And I'm going to be patient with you. Thank you, Jesus patient with you until you get it that I'm going to work my purposes and I'm going to receive the glory in the end if you'll just participate with me I've got this you know I was also reminded that the value of a thing is the price it will bring and the last time I checked the Bible says that the price that was paid for every child man and woman in this room or in that lobby was that God gave his one and only son Jesus Christ on the cross for you and I to receive eternal life. Will you bow your heads with me? Father, thank you so much for this day. Creekwood Church, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, if there's anyone here today who doesn't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, can I just ask you to slip up your hand? I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to bring you to the front, but it's possible that you've not met this Lord and Savior that fights battles like this. If, there's, if that's you in the room, would you just slip up your hand? Thank you. Thank you. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that the moment we cry out for you, you are our Savior. You are our Lord. That we can accept you into our heart. That you can forgive us of our sins. That you can take the ordinary that we've created ourselves to be. We've allowed ourselves to become so ordinary when you have made us extraordinary. God, would you make us more like Gideon by teaching us that you are in the messes and it is your specialty to do the extraordinary things even when we can't see how it's going to unfold in the end. God, like Sarah and the team prayed, would you increase our capacity to trust you? Lord, I'll drive away today, but this church will stay standing. And I pray, God, that you would do the miraculous in their presence. I pray that you'll help some clean up their backyards this week. 
that you will help some to pray, to pray for an undeniable assignment. And Lord, I thank you for welcoming new children into your kingdom today. You are miraculous, Lord. I pray you'll take good care of these people. Lord, help them to slay giants. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more messages and information about Creekwood Church, visit us at creekwoodchurch.com.